Welcome to The Rock Podcast. This morning, we have a special guest, the professor of Christian ministry and leadership at Biola University, Don Sanukjian. Don joins us this morning to share a message that will encourage, equip, and empower us to continually grow in our faith. It's good to be with you again. I'm very grateful to your pastors who invite me and special treat. I get to come two weeks in a row. So that will be just lots of fun. Uh, today, as Adam said, is a national holiday, uh, otherwise known as Super Bowl Sunday. I'm sure you've all got your uh, little goodies and snacks all prepared. You want to have them ready before the game starts, because this is one football game you don't want to get up during the commercials. Uh, in fact, if you don't like football, stay and watch the commercials. They're famous uh, over this kind of a day. But apparently, whatever snacks you're going to have, it's going to be without sour cream. That's just <laughs> the way it's going to be. If you wanted to put money on the game, there's lots of ways you could do that. I, I read, and there must be, I don't know, all kinds of ways. You, obviously, you can put money on who's going to win. You can put money on who's going to throw the first touchdown. You can even put money on the coin toss as to whether it'll come up heads or tails. <laughs> money is just kind of everywhere. All kinds of stuff we do about money all kind of stuff we think about money. Uh, I read a few years ago about a college student, and he had uh, this on his answering machine for his, uh, in his dorm room. Hi, this is Rick. Can't come to the phone right now. Leave a message. If you are my landlord, I already mailed the money. <laughs> if this is one of my parents, please send money. <laughs> if you're a friend... You owe me money. <laughs> if you are female, I have plenty of money. <laughs> money's just money's just a big part of our world, you know. Uh, somebody said money is what there's not any doubt of. Things run into, and people run out of. We used to have a saying: money talks. Nowadays, money just snickers, you know. <laughs> Somebody said, no, 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 no. That money talks, I'll not deny. I heard it once. It said, goodbye. <laughs> we have a saying, a fool and his money are soon parted. Now it happens to all of us, okay? I have a lot of sympathy for that lady who went into the bank, went up to the teller, said, I want to open up a joint checking account. Yes, madam, of course. Uh, with your husband, I assume? No, with somebody who has money. <laughs> of all of the things, though, that statements that, you know, you come across about money, there was one statement that Jesus made, which is kind of, Raises a lot of questions, you know. You read it, you think. In fact, the disciples, when they heard it, said, are you kidding? Um, 
Jesus was watching a, when he made the statement, he was watching a young man walk away from him. Uh, we call that young man often the rich young ruler. He, he was a man who had a lot of money. And he didn't like what Jesus had said in the conversation, so he was walking away. And as Jesus watched him walk away, he turned to his disciples and he said, you know, it's hard for a rich man to get connected with God. In fact, he said, it's impossible. It's impossible for a person who has money to have a walk with God. Impossible. I want us to look at that statement because it raises a lot of questions. The disciples said, huh? So let's look at it. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, the first gospel of the New Testament. I'll give you time to find it. Matthew 19. In the New Testament, if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're coming out of the Old Testament, you'll be in Zechariah, Malachi, and then just flip into the New Testament. Matthew 19. And as Jesus watches this young man who is very rich, has a lot of money, walk away from him. In verse 23, Matthew 19, 23. Verse 23. He said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he, he, he just repeats himself, Jesus does. And he emphasizes it even more to, to describe how impossible it is. He says, again, I, I just want to say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's more likely to happen than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's just almost impossible for it to happen for a person to have, that has money to get connected with God. Now somebody says, well, that eye, camel, needle, wasn't there a, a gate in Jerusalem, lots of city, lots of wall, gates in the city wall, and wasn't there a small gate that was called a needle's gate because it was kind of small, and a camel could go through the needle's gate if it kind of got down on its knees and scrunched its way, you know, and maybe what Jesus is saying is if a rich man will divest himself of his self-importance and humble himself and look, you know, you, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, Luke, who is a medical doctor in his gospel, when he records the same conversation, he uses the word for a needle, a suturing needle, a surgeon's needle. I mean, Jesus is saying exactly what it sounds like. You take the largest animal in our culture, a camel. You take the smallest opening in our culture, the eye of a needle. Now that animal is going to go through that opening. That's going to happen before a rich man has a walk with God. It's impossible. Now we read that and we come away with three questions. First of all, who are the rich? Who's he talking about? When Jesus says a rich person, in his mind, who does he visualize? Who does who does he see? Where is he pegging them on the economic scale? It is hard for a rich person. Who's the rich? That's the first question. Second question. 
Why is it so hard for them to have a walk with God? What is there about being rich that makes it almost impossible to have a spiritual life? It is hard. Third, and in fact, the disciples, they, they got it. They knew what he said. Look at it. Uh, verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be rich? Who then can be saved? How does it ever happen? And Jesus said, you get the point. Verse 26, Jesus said, on a human level, it won't happen. With men, impossible. But Jesus said, with God, eh, it can happen. If God, with God, all things are possible. God does have a way. And that's the third question. If the first question is, who are the rich? And the second question is, why is it so hard for a rich person to have a walk with God? Then the third question is, well, what, what does God do that makes it possible? How does God make it happen if on a human level it is never going to happen? So those are three questions. So let's take them out. First of all, who are the rich? Who's Jesus visualizing when he says this? Okay. How do we decide what rich is? Do we look at the standard of living in our country as opposed to Nepal or India? Did you hear about the Texan who microfilmed his bankroll so it would fit in his wallet? <laughs> I read once about a man who bought a very expensive car, a very rich man. I think it was in oil. Uh, and he bought a very expensive car, and he's describing it to somebody. He says it has rack and pinion steering, whatever that is. And he said it, it has fuel injection, whatever that is. Oh, it can stop on a dime, whatever that is. If you don't know what a dime is, you're doing okay, okay? <laughs> how, how do we decide what rich is, okay? Uh, most of us, we feel like we have two chances of becoming rich. Slim and fat. <laughs> I know, they're corny. No, really. You know what we, what we think rich is? Double my salary. That's rich. Next year, this year, if I make twice as much as I make, oh, that'll solve a lot of problems. That'll tie a lot of loose ends together. We'll be doing okay. Double my salary. That's rich. Somebody else says, no, 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 no. Rich is seven figures, seven figures. How do we peg what rich is? Who does Jesus have in mind? You know, the Bible has a very concrete answer to that. It has a very dollars and cents answer. The Bible will describe economically what middle class is. It will say, if you have this, you're the norm, you're the middle. You can be content, you have what you need. That's middle. The Bible will give us that definition. I'll show it to you in a minute. Below that, the Bible will specifically describe people below that as poor. It will use that word to describe somebody who is below that middle line, poor. Rich, the Bible will describe people who are above the middle, that middle line. So what is that middle line, that dollars and cents definition? Because it's above that definition that Jesus is pegging the rich. Okay, middle class, contentment, norm, it's this. If you have two changes of clothes, 
and food for the day at the start of the day, you have what you need. If you have two changes of clothes in their culture, two outer cloaks, two changes of clothes, and if at the beginning of the day when you get up, there is food available to you already in your house, there is food for the day at the start of the day, you're the norm. Below that, the Bible will use the word poor to describe somebody who has only one of those cloaks, poor. And the Bible will use the word poor to describe somebody who when they get up, they do not have food at the start of the day. They have to work all day long to earn money to buy food at the end of the day. That's poor. Above that, the Bible will use descriptions of a rich man who says, my barns are not big enough to hold all the sacks of grain. I'm going to tear these down. Build bigger barns so I can put my sacks in or the Bible will describe a rich man who has closets full of silks and imported woolens and garments so that he worries about moths getting into all of the closets full of stuff he has. Food for the day, at the start of the day, two changes of clothes. Above that is rich. Let's see that biblical definition. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, the fifth book of Deuteronomy. A fifth, fifth book of the, of the Bible, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24. We're going to read first. that if you loan somebody money and they give you a collateral to hold to the, for the day until they come back at the end of the day to pay you back, if they give you your, their coat as collateral, if the person is poor, don't keep the collateral coat overnight. It's his only coat. He's poor. It's his blanket for when he goes to sleep. Even if he can't pay you back at the end of the day, give the, give the poor guy his coat back. Okay, he's poor. All right? Let's read it. Verse 10, Deuteronomy 24, verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, don't go into his house to get what he's offering as a pledge. Stay outside. Okay? You let him bring out what he wants to give you for collateral, okay? Stay outside, let the man to whom you are making the loan, let him bring his pledge, his guarantee, his collateral out to you. Now, if the man is poor, don't go to sleep with his pledge. Don't keep it overnight, okay? Return his cloak to him so that he can sleep in it. It's his blanket. And he will thank you. And God will regard it very highly. The man is poor. He's got one cloak. It's his blanket. Okay, Don't keep it overnight. Passage goes on to say that if you go down to Costco and there's some workers standing out that are, want to work by the day and you hire one of them and say, I've got a three-day job for you. Oh, he's pretty happy. Three days worth of work. Okay, The Bible will go on to say at the end of the first day, pay him. Pay him. 
Don't say to him, hey, three days, can I catch you at the end of three days? Okay, no. He may need the money that day to buy food that night. Verse 14, do not take advantage of a hired man who's poor. He's needy. Whether he's a brother Israelite or an immigrant alien living in your town. Don't take advantage of him. What do you mean by take advantage of him? Pay him his wages each day before the sunset. He's poor. He's counting on it. It's food for the day at the end of the day. Otherwise, he'll cry to the Lord. You can trace this definition all through the Bible. Uh, you, look at, you look at the manna that fell. The manna fell at the beginning of the day. Okay? You woke up, you had that day's food at the beginning of the day. When you went to bed at night, you had to depend on God to show up, and at the beginning of the day, you had manna again. And if you had food for the day at the start of the day, you were okay. You come into the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus will say, as he teaches us to pray, give us this day our bread for the coming day. Okay? Not bread for today. I've already got my bread for the day. But today enable me to be able to have food for the day at, when I start tomorrow. Okay? Uh, Paul will write to Timothy, we brought nothing into this world. We're going to take nothing out of this world. So in the meantime, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. Right? James wrote to some friends of his, and he said, when you come together in your church, and if you see a brother or a sister who is without clothes and in need of daily food, hear the language? Without clothes. Now, it doesn't mean they're standing there naked in church, okay? What he means is they're wearing the only thing they got. And they are without daily food. They do not know whether they will be able to eat tomorrow. Okay? Well, if you see that, then don't say, God bless you, hope everything works out. No, do something. All right. So all through Scripture, you've got this definition that rich is having more than two changes of clothes and having food, more than enough food, at the start of the day. So when we say, Jesus, who are the rich? The answer is... Do I have more than two shirts? Come next week and find out. I was wearing a sweater once, and uh, my wife said, you need a new sweater. And I said, I have a sweater. I'm wearing it. And she said, I'm tired of looking at that. <laughs> okay? I mean, it, you know, it's uh, brown shoes. Do you know that? Brown shoes. I have a pair of black shoes at home. I do. I need a pair of black shoes. Why do I need a pair of black shoes? Do they keep my feet dry, drier? No. Do they protect me over the pebbles any better? No. Why do I need a pair of black shoes? Oh, to color coordinate my outfits. <laughs> Rich. Rich. 
have food for the day at the start of the day? When you go in your kitchen, you don't say to yourself, I wonder whether there's anything to eat in here. No, you say, I wonder what I'll have this morning. Cereal? Do I have time for eggs? Shall I put some bacon or sausage or ham with it? Toast, wheat, sourdough, white, English muffin, maybe pancakes, waffles, French toast, juice. Food for the day at the start of the day. If I never worked another day in my life, okay, if I never brought in another dollar into my household for family, how long would it be before I would wake up and there would not be food at the start of the day. How long would it be? All right, let's start with what's in my wallet. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty. Fifty. That's not enough for any of you to think of mugging me, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, we could probably, if we shop judiciously, we could probably go the rest of this week on that. Not very much. Checking account? Eh, a little bit better, a little bit better. Eh, we probably could go a couple months. Oh, IRA. Yeah, I could cash that baby out. I could go for decades on that. And if it ever ran out, I'll go on food stamps. We have five kids, four of them live within half an hour. Food stamps will cover breakfast and lunch. I'll show up at their house for dinner. I cannot conceive in my lifetime that there will be a morning when I will get up and say to Nell, we're out of food, we're done. Rich. We are the rich. Nothing wrong with being rich. It's God goodness. God's, the Bible describes him as the giver of every good and perfect gift, and we'd say, Lord, you certainly have to us, Okay. You have just been good to us, for which we are grateful. But let's admit we're the rich, because then we'll listen to what Jesus is saying. And when he says, hey, it's hard for a rich person to have a walk with God, I'll say, Lord, I know I do struggle. I want to have a walk with God where I am conscious of him all of the time, where I feel his presence continually. My thoughts are centered on him. I'm aware of him. I live inside of I wish I had. I don't as much as I want it. Why? Because I'm rich. And so that brings us to our second question. Why is it so difficult for us rich people to have a walk with God? What makes it almost impossible for us to lay hold of the life we want to have? Okay. The answer is, our riches do two things to us which pull us away from God. There are two effects that our money have, has on us which makes it almost impossible for us to have an intimate spiritual life with God. Okay. Two things. The first thing is our money makes us independent of God. We have so much money, we can use our money to solve our problems. We don't think about needing God because the money will do it for us. 
we become independent of God. If your child has self-image problems at school, you buy some designer clothes that will raise their self-esteem and make the children at school, oh my, wow, okay? See, money, money solves the problem. Instead of praying, Lord, my child has difficulty and, and I don't have any way to help them out. You've got to get into their heart and give them a security. You've got to get into the hearts of the kids that are, you know, just kind of looking down on them and let them see some. I mean, you've got to pray. Right? Uh, if you had a medical problem and you got a diagnosis and you thought, nah, I'd like a second opinion and the insurance company won't pay for a second opinion. You say, hey, no problem. I got enough money, I'll pay it for myself, even though insurance won't cover it. See? We, our money can solve our problems. If you don't feel safe at night, there's been some break-ins in your neighborhood. You buy some double-bolt locks and chains, and, and if you worry about the windows, you think, okay, let's get some grill work. Uh, tasteful, very attractive, but close enough together that no bod can get through, okay? If you still don't feel safe, you buy a dog. <laughs> big dog. <laughs> or at least a tape recording of a big dog that goes, <laughs> If you still don't feel safe, you get inside a gated community, okay? And if I want to come to your house, there's, I have to come up, there's some kiosk and some Cossack comes out of it and takes a look at my car and sees that I don't have the right stickers and says, may I help you? Uh, I, I'm visiting the Sturdivants up on Meadowland Lane. Uh, they're expecting me. Wait here. He goes in and punches some communication button. Oh, Mrs. Sturdivant, there's some guy here named Suzuki. He, th he, th he says he's, oh, yes, yes, we're expecting him. Please don't. You may go, sir. Okay. And you're safe. What does a poor person who feels insecure at night do if they don't have any money? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. My grandfather immigrated. Uh, minimal English skills when he came. Uh, five children, my mother and others. And he says that uh, one time he came home and he'd been out looking for work in order to buy, get some money to be able to buy food to bring it home to feed the children. He didn't find work. And he walked into the house at night and as soon as the children saw that he was not carrying any paper sacks, they started crying. We're not going to eat. He says, I just walked right by them. I went to the bedroom. I got down on my knees at the bed, and I said, God, how am I going to feed my babies? The next day, as he's circling things on the paper that he thinks maybe he can stop by to see, as he goes out the door holding that paper, He's walking with God every step of the way. Poor people are one day away from disaster. 
and they walk with God. Our money makes us independent, self-sufficient. We don't need God. And as a result, we live without conscious thought of him so many, so much of the day because our money will take care of it. That's the first thing. Our money makes us independent. Second thing our money does, which draws us away from God, our money makes us self-centered, accumulative. We acquire for ourselves. With money comes the constant thought of, well, what shall we do with this money? What shall we buy next? How can we add to whatever we have? And so, though we may have a nice big screen TV, when we walk through Costco, we see an even bigger one that curves a little bit. It has, and we think, okay. Apple's going to come out with a new smartphone. Of course they are. They do every year. Okay. And though this one that you have this year is perfectly fine, and we're, we're going to buy another one, okay? We're going to remodel something at the house. We're going to trade up to a newer car. Where shall we cruise this year? See? Our thoughts are on... And again... God moves into the distance. It's hard for a rich person to have a spiritual life, a a life where they lay hold of God and walk with him. It's just almost impossible. Our money makes it so difficult for us. So that brings us to the last question. Well, then how does God make it possible? How can God make it possible for a person who has a lot of money, who is rich like we are, how can God make it possible for us to have a spiritual life with him. There are two ways, two ways that God can make it possible. I, I recommend the second way. Okay? Two ways. The first way, not a good way, but it can happen this way. God can take a person who has a lot of money and give him a spiritual or her a spiritual life by taking the money away. That's pretty easy. Through some kind of circumstance... All of a sudden, the money just... If your company downsizes where you work, or it merges with another company, and somehow your position is not needed for the new entity, and all of a sudden, you're without a job. And you don't know how long it'll be before you have any income coming in. In the meantime, the mortgage continues, the insurance payment continues, and the tuition payments continues, and the food bills continue, and the utilities continue, and there's no money, and it's, oh, Lord. My friend, losing your job does wonders for your prayer life. See? All of a sudden, the money, you're walking with God. You live on a fault line, an earthquake fault line, just like we do down in Southern California. You've had it in Oakland. You've had it in San Francisco. Down there, we're waiting for the big one that's going to make Las Vegas beachfront property. Okay? (laughs) Even if you have earthquake insurance, the deductible is monstrous. And all of a sudden, whatever property values we might have in a home, are gone. God can, through some way, take the money away. 
How does God get the attention of a medical doctor who has a six-figure income? Slap him with a $20 million malpractice suit. And his insurance is only $10 million. Oh, God. Okay? That's the first way that God can draw us into an intimate walk with him. I, I recommend the second way. Second way, God offers to instruct the rich. And if we have a heart to follow his instruction in the midst of enjoying the riches he has given us, we can still lay hold of that walk with him that we want. God offers to instruct those who are rich in this present world. And if we have a heart to do what his instruction says, then even in the midst of our wealth, we will find ourselves walking with him. I want us to see the offer of the instruction, and we will conclude. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is in the New Testament, toward the latter part of the New Testament. 1 Timothy, you'll go past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you hit Romans and Corinthians. And then there are some letters sent to churches that were in the Greek cities of Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi. And uh, about that time, you'll come to uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 5. If you hit Hebrews or Peter, a little bit too far. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6, chapter 6. Paul's first letter to a young friend of his who was pastoring a church uh, in the Greek city of Ephesus. The young man's name was Timothy. And at the end of his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul writes, Timothy, Command those who are rich in this world, this present world. And the word command is the word instruct, encourage. Give them this information. And in Timothy, uh, we won't spend any time on it, but Paul simply identifies the two things that money does to the rich that I just mentioned. Uh, it makes us independent of God. We don't think we need him, and it makes us self-focused in our expenditures. And so he mentions those two. We won't spend any time with them because... I want next week to look at instruction that Jesus gives, okay? But the point here is that God offers instruction, okay? Instruct, command those who are in this rich, and rich in this present world, first of all, not to be arrogant, self-sufficient, independent, not to put their hope in their money, which is uncertain, but instead put their hope in God, okay? And then verse 18, secondly, Command them not to be self-centered uh, with how much they can buy for themselves, but instead uh, instruct them to do good with their money, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. And if they do that, verse 19 says, they will lay up a future treasure for themselves, but notice the end of the verse. They will take hold of life that is truly life. That's what we want. We want life that is truly life. And it is possible if we are willing to hear the instruction that God will give the rich. Next week, we will turn to instruction that Jesus gives the rich. And if we're willing to respond to it, we'll have the walk with God we want to have. Lord, we thank you for your goodness.
we cannot in any way justify why you chose us to live in this country and we are just grateful for every good thing that you have given to us which makes life pleasant. We are grateful, Lord. We are grateful. But we don't want your gifts to get in the way of you. And so we open ourselves up to the instruction that you will give us for we do want to walk intimately with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.